what should have been a stellar week came crashing down for National. One news inside Parliament. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a regular catch-up about the political stories we've been covering this week on One News. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And it's just the two of us this week. Benedict Collins is away today. So just Jessica and I to give you all the insights from the week that was Poll Week. What was your pit or your peak this week, Jess? I think one of my um, interesting facts this week was uh, National Party having its conference and Benedict Collins went to Christchurch to cover that. And it was lots of rah-rah for the National Party, really trying to um, get excited and um, get get into what effectively is the lead-up to election year. Uh, They announced new policy on youth employment and there were lots of, I sort of, I love those pictures when they walk in and um, have the music going. And um, on that note, Christopher Luxon also chose to uh, to bless us with a rendition of a, of um, his music that was, oh no, we did talk about that last week. So mm. maybe I'll skip over that because I remember Benedict Collins played it for us. But that played as he walked into the conference. And I just love a good rah-rah comp conference entrance, even if it is with masks, which slightly makes it less exciting. Yeah, this time he walked down the stairways, like through the crowd, like he was on Ellen DeGeneres and he was like <laughs> sort of doing his dance on the way down the steps, as opposed to previous leaders who just kind of appear from the side of stage. So I thought that was also a new addition. Uh, and speaking of additions for the National Party, a nice magenta wash uh, to their new colour scheme, it seems, and a revamped press release that See, these are the little inside Parliament details, <laughs> folks, that we're here to give you. Uh, for some of you who don't haven't see, seen the new press releases, you may um, just like to switch your tally on at 7 o'clock on TV2, Shortland Street has the same colour theme. so it might be starting to get mad though because pink is really its colour too. So <laughs> uh, maybe it's a little bit of a sign of things to come. Um, one of the other highlights for me this week too was the um, graphics that our team put together for the poll. Um, they did a really amazing job of creating a debating chamber that looked as though you could almost dive into it. And to give you a little bit of insight behind the scenes, um, they had asked our uh, Anna White, who does our um, political reporting for our website, to take lots of photos of all the little details so that things like the carpet and things like the wood panelling were all really accurate. And um, they did such an amazing job. It's quite, I mean, it looks cool, but it's one of those things that it takes a lot of work behind the scenes for them to work and make it look um, you know, make it look real and they I think they did an awesome job. It was so impressive because like on the on the Monday night when you were delivering the poll results, some of us, you know, in, in the office were just watching and we didn't actually know that this was coming and so I was sitting there being like, oh my gosh, what is this new sort of AR that's, that we're sort of seeing and um, I think it's really good because it makes it feel a lot more interactive for the audience to kind of picture how all those seats break down and divvy out in, in Parliament. And that's the point. It's meant to be easier for audience to visualise, which is cool. Yeah. Um, also today, folks, we uh, saw the police minister, Chris Hipkins, um, visit with a few cute little police puppies at Parliament. Um, so lots of uh, cutesy little pictures there. And he was very funny. He said, um, look, the National Party already think I'm soft on crime. 
what are they going to think now? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'll be using that in my story. Thank you very much, Minister. <laughs> A nice little line. But of course, um, the big numbers this week, obviously, Jess, was the poll. Let's get the breakdown. Yeah, so these poll results were really interesting, and that's because it was nationals a national and act together could form a government, just the two of them. They don't want to have to rely on Te Pāti Māori, so that's a bit of a change from the last few polls that we've been seeing. Um, national is just ahead of Labour. Um, it, it still dropped down a little bit and so did Christopher Luxon. But the big takeaway is that together Christopher Luxon would be leader and probably on those, uh, sorry, would be Prime Minister and probably on those numbers David Seymour would be Deputy Prime Minister. So that's a little bit of food for thought for everyone. I think what's really interesting is is how uh, damaging that is for Labour. So um, Labour sitting on 33 on those numbers um, and the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern sitting on 30 in the preferred Prime Minister numbers. Now as um, Grant Robertson, the Finance Minister, um, pointed out about, you know, my poll, which was really helpful for him, um, that she is, of course, still ahead, uh, but it's still a low number for her, and it will be causing ripples behind the scenes. Now, you know, as we're going to talk about in more detail later, National's own goal with Sam Uffendale uh, will somewhat have distracted from that, uh, but we we put those questions to Labour on Tuesday, and you can definitely tell that they haven't had a bad poll for a few years because um, there were there were a few slightly sensitive answers around that stuff. So not great, but I think probably um, National's done a bit of damage over the last few days with the Sam Uffendale story. So uh, if we were to poll again this weekend, maybe the numbers would have moved around a little bit. Mm, that's right. I, I definitely think that, um, you know, with National and Labour both dropping two points each in this poll, it was certainly a poll for the minor parties, a poll for the Conservative and the centre-right vote. Um, because on those minor parties, ACT was back in the game. You know, the last two polls that we've done, they had dropped consistently um, in their numbers twice in a row. So for ACT to jump four points this poll and to, you know, get 11% to, you know, effectively be bringing in an extra four MPs on these numbers and allowing it and National to form a government without needing to rely on that sort of kingmaker that used to be in the in the last few polls, Te Pāti Māori. I think it really just shows the importance of having those minor support parties there waiting in the wings for these sort of bigger players like National and like Labour. For the Green Party, dropping one point after, you know, the James Shaw co leadership debacle, I think they would have all been breathing a sigh of relief that it wasn't much, much worse because that was messy, it was internal, it wasn't a good look for them and yeah, James Shaw is popular amongst that kind of whiter wider, sorry <laughs> probably whiter that wider <laughs> voter base um, and so for the wider public to sort of be watching the Greens implode um, and to only kind of mark them down with that one point actually was a good result for the Green Party but yeah stellar stuff for ACT, they're back in the game they have been doing that yo-yo effect though so like 
like I said, went down in the last two. Before that, they were up in the in the in the in the two poles prior to that, and then in the two poles prior to that, they were down. So they're doing this kind of yo-yo roller coaster effect. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm not sure what to put that down to, but yeah, interesting for the conservative vote because the minor parties, as we saw, there was a protest on the weekend up in Auckland, um, anti-mandate protesters hitting the street. Brian Tamaki, you know, front and centre there on the loud hailer and Vision NZ, led by his wife Hannah Tamaki, pops up in our poll on 1%. Conservative New Zealand also consistently polling on 1%. They're all in talks to join forces. They need others, um, you know, to, to sort of jump in with them, but they need sort of legitimate players uh, in order to do that, they're talking uh, about sort of coming together to tackle that 5% threshold because that really is a big barrier for some of those minor parties who just can't get anywhere near that. So be interesting to see how those talks develop later in the year. And I think you're right. I think what this shows is because we've got such a um, sort of a, a throwing out of lollies among those smaller parties is that people aren't feeling happy with the two main parties and are looking at their options. And a couple of others that worth noting, New Zealand First, uh, led by Winston Peters, three percent um, top was another one, two percent. And Democrats for Social Credit getting one percent uh, there too, and that's one that people may remember from you know who have been around for a few decades. Um, that was a party that that did that was very dominant a few decades ago. So I just think it is really interesting to see how all of those numbers are falling. Another thing of note um, that kind of got lost a little bit because of the Sam Uffendale stuff later in Uffendale stuff later in the week was the economic outlook and. We ask people how they feel about the state of the economy going forward and about half of people are still feeling like it's going to get worse over the next year and I think that leads into the whole thing of why you know some of some of the supports coming off labor as people are feeling the cost of um, the cost of living crisis they're feeling the pinch um, I, I quite liked the analysis from the Labour Party saying, look, it's just winter, that's what happens, da-da-da, and, you know, if, if in doubt, blame it on the weather. I wish the All Blacks would just blame it on winter. That's a great idea, actually. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll just send a little th- a text through to Ian Foster and yeah. just say, hey, I've got a strategy for you. Blame Here you go, my friend. Cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of winter, though, boy, oh, boy, it got frosty pretty quickly in the National Party camp uh, later That's on impressive. Monday. What should have been a stellar week for them coming in off the high of their party conference and the high of some epic poll numbers, boom, came crashing down on Monday evening when it all came out that Sam Uffindale had essentially viciously attacked a uh, 13-year-old boy while he was uh, 16 years old at King's College alongside three other friends uh, after lights out. And that just put a whole spanner in the works for the National Party. Absolutely. And to give you a little bit of insight into how this played out, perhaps behind the scenes and particularly in our um, gallery office, I think on that Tuesday when we came back and we were talking to people about it, I think the King's College incident, terrible, and I don't think anyone can get around that. But the fact that he had front-footed it with the party, uh, the fact that um, it had happened when he was 16 and that he had offered an apology to them, uh, to the person 
the year before, those probably were – it was probably salvageable. So you could – I think it highlighted major issues with the party and it was – it's a story, absolutely. But I do think that on Tuesday night, things were looking okay for Sam Uffendale. He had – he had – shown a great deal of remorse repetitively throughout the day. But then when the second accusation came out on overnight on um, – so the first one was from Kirsty Johnson from Stuff and the second one was um, RNZ uh, broke that story. So um, Craig McCulloch and Jane Patterson um, for that one. And I do think that when the second hit came and they launched the investigation, that's when things kind of changed and it felt like – it's tough for him to come back from this now. Yeah, I definitely, it was interesting um, just from a strategy perspective how they dealt with it on the Tuesday with Sam Uffendale. In, in the Monday afternoon, you know, he was on Checkpoint, he was on News Talk ZB, he was on Breakfast, the AM show, he did Morning Report. He was everywhere front-footing this issue. That's kind of unheard of when it comes to a very green new MP going up against some of the senior journalists in the country and, and having to explain himself. Um, that was an interesting media strategy. I think it probably would have worked for them. The, the issue is that um, once you are exposed like that, once you are wounded like that, it only takes another little chink to really kind of, you know, put you on the ground and and he's bleeding out now. I do think that the strategy was, like, we're looking at this through a political lens, right? So for people listening to it, you know, we are political reporters and that's what we do. But looking at it through a political lens, it was a smart thing to do because I think um, him front-footing it, <clears throat> A, it takes the heat away from the leader, and B, I don't think there are many people who were watching that who didn't feel like he was um, remorseful. Now, at that time. And I think um, the, all of the hard questions were asked. He got a tough time. I think that was the way to do it. And it also shows that if you make a big mistake, here you go. You have to you have to deal with this and you have to front up to the public. And I do think that um, that was the right way to handle it. I just think that um, he probably, once he, he was so fulsome in that on the Tuesday, it then on the Wednesday it felt... It felt different, but I'm not sure if someone could go through that I, two I days in a row. Christopher Luxon also did a, a good job handling this crisis as well. Uh, I think you know, you know, what MPs need to know is that their leader has their back until you know it's it's like black and white clear that they have you know, done something totally wrong. And I think in the circumstances, you know, him saying, yes, it was absolutely deplorable. You know, Christopher Luxon saying this, it was absolutely deplorable. And if it had been one of my own children, I would have been very upset and that sort of thing. Um, and then kind of moving it to where his MP was now in terms of, you know, being older and having learnt from those sorts of things. But then once that second allegation came out, he had no choice, I think, calling in, um, you know, an investigator to kind of do the proper sort of run through of things was the right move. Um, it just kind of makes it, like you say, very hard to come back from. I think the big failure in all of this, though, is definitely the party. It's an issue that they were faced with time and time again in the last two years with 
candidates like Jake Bazant, former MPs like Andrew Falloon, Hamish Walker, just having issues of, you know, trust, honesty, reliability in their kind of candidates and former MPs. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of candidate selection process was put under the microscope and promises were made that change was on the way. And then this was the first opportunity for the National Party to really show that it had tightened up its selection process. And yet when red flags were raised, they weren't passed on to the leader of the party. Christopher Luxon only found out on Monday. And at the helm of all of that is Peter Goodfellow, who stepped down over the weekend, yes, but he is still on the board until mid-2025. And there never really has ever been any accountability at that board level from, you know, those board members and from Peter Goodfellow in particular. I just cannot see how Christopher Luxon will allow him to carry on in that role. I bet you there's massive conversations going on behind the scenes. It will be difficult because Peter Goodfellow, having been in the party for so long, will no doubt be so well entrenched in many aspects, financial aspects, sort of the the sort of board aspects in terms of having his mates and protectors around him, shoring up his space. It's going to be diff- it'll be difficult to reign to uh, navigate behind the scenes, I think, but it's something that Christopher Luxon needs to sort out. Yeah, and I think what's interesting with all of this is that um, Sylvia Wood is the new president, right? But she's only been here um, a couple of days, but she has had lots of experience with the party and she, uh, walking along, talking to you, literally using her umbrella as a shield, that just doesn't play well in terms of accountability and and, you know, answering a couple of questions and things like that. You know, get it that it's her first day, but she hasn't fronted all week on this. And, uh, you know, it's a party issue. I think the thing with National is this Tauranga by-election was their chance to get it right. And I think um, Matthew Hooten, I quite liked his line um, saying that, you know, there were four men with white shirts and blue suits. And I think... um, you know, for very um, middle-aged white men um, having been on the selection for the Tauranga seat. And I think that they're not attracting people with um, with diverse backgrounds. I mean, even simply a female candidate, um, let alone anyone with um, any diversity of, of um, perhaps upbringing or um, ethnicity or whatever it is. So... I just think that that is really interesting that they don't, that they weren't able to do that with Tauranga because this was sort of their first big chance. And I think what they'll have to be doing heading into next year for election year is really make sure that they are attracting really high caliber candidates with different approaches and different ways of looking at things. And I think that that's something that they're going to have to do. And, you know, Sylvia Wood does have a background in HR, so perhaps this is an area that she can uh, specialise in, but they will have learnt big lessons from this that you need to front foot issues, that you need to come out and let people decide. So I, it's a shame they didn't get this one right, and yet again the process is under question. I definitely think Sylvia Wood 
would have gotten a major sort of fright on her first few days in the role. And I you think mean from you or <laughs> from from just all of it. And I think the expectation now is that this is her opportunity as the new party president alongside a new leader. You know, Christopher Luxon wants to change, you know, everything about the National Party, you know, the sort of shambles of the past. He, he wants that gone. He's, you know, he's a, an experienced CEO. He wants a winning team with a winning strategy and he's going to need a pre- president who wants the same. So this is her opportunity, I think, to kind of prove that she wants it just as much as he does, that she is going to bring that change and she'll need to distance herself from Peter Goodfellow if she wants to achieve that. And she may get the opportunity to do that sooner than she thought because we may see another by-election if the uh, Marie Marie Jew QC report comes back and and finds issues. One of the options is that we'll see another by-election in Tauranga and so that can be their chance. But if I was the National Party, I would be sending out some senior MPs uh, over the next few weeks to try and scope out some people in... um, in and around Tauranga um, or even consider helicoptering in a good, strong candidate. I just think, uh, you know, this is, this, is their, this is their final opportunity to get this right. Another interesting week at Parliament and in politics here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So we'll leave it there. This was One News Inside Parliament, our regular catch-up about the political stories we're covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available most weeks on One News Online and check us out on your favourite podcasting app.